Good morning. It's so great to be with you in this online format, and we want to thank all of our tech people who've made this possible, and you for tuning in this morning at home with your families. We're just so glad that we have the opportunity to be able to do church in this format. I want to introduce you this morning to my twin brother, Alex. And, well, I, sh- I say introduce. Actually, for the last three weeks when you thought it was me preaching, we've actually been taking turns. So Alex has been... You've seen him before. You just didn't know it. That is not true. <laughs> but it's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, two years ago, I started law school the same week as Alex started med school. So we've been studying to become a doctor and a lawyer at the same time. And it's been really interesting, the conversations that we've gotten to have about the way that our fields of study overlap. Uh, there's a lot more overlap than I thought between science and the law, but it's been great to be able to talk about that. What's been even more amazing to talk about is how they interact with spirituality. And both fields tend to deny their spiritual basis, but it's so important to realize that God created all these things and that science is not in any way opposed to religion, that science testifies to religion, that God created chemistry and physics. And the Bible tells us all creation testifies to his character. So I'm just really excited that we're going to be able to talk about this morning, one way that God uses science to show us more about himself and ourselves. So when I told Alex that the summer series was going to be about resilience, we started talking about this idea of resilience uh, in a a scientific context. And he explained something to me about the science of resilience that I thought was so important. I said, we need to have an entire lesson just about that concept. But I knew right off the bat that I was not competent to explain the science part of it. So I asked him to join us to explain some of that. But tell us, um, what, what is it that science can teach us about resilience? So one of the things that came up when we were first talking about this is how much of what we do is actually controlled by our subconscious. And so many of our actions are actually not things that we specifically chose to do. And that includes thoughts things that we didn't, that you didn't actually actively make a decision to do. So, for example, right now, where you're sitting, everybody hold up your hand. Okay, so some people hold up their right hand, some people their left hand. Some people this high, this high, what are you doing with your hand? Some people didn't even hold up your hand. You said, I'm too cool for your illustration. I'm, I'm not doing that. And you didn't even hold up your hand. But what's important that I'm asking, did you think about, okay, which hand do I do? Did you make a decision of how high you're going to hold it? No, you're on autopilot. Your body just does that. Or how you're sitting right now, your posture. Or when you speak, the words that you say and your mannerisms, you're not picking every single thing like that. Your subconscious kind of controls that. And so that's so important to be aware of what our subconscious is and how we can train it because of how much of our lives it affects and controls. So your subconscious, we we chose to hold up our hands, but our subconscious chose how high to hold it. That's a small example, but you're saying this happens in big picture examples too, big picture decisions in your life? Yeah, tons of decisions in your life, from the smallest things to the biggest things, can be affected by your subconscious. I mean, there's lots of studies on this, but one was they took some college athletes and gave them a math test. And before the test, they said, this is going to measure how athletic you are. And it's a math test, so it won't. But they thought that. And then another group of college athletes, they said, this is how smart you are. And the people that, that they told, this is a test of athletics, performed better because they're athletes and they, they expected that. Or they walk into a room to take a test and they have music playing. This is a different group of college students. And they have fast music or slow music playing when they walk into the test. And then they take the test and leave. And the people walking out of the room would walk more quickly when they were leaving if they had listened to fast music when they walked into the room. And that was a long time ago. They take a test in silence, and that music affects how fast they leave the room. They walk slower or faster. And they asked them, what music were you listening to? And they had no idea. Wow. Wow. And so that's just another example of little (laughs) things that we surround ourselves with. Your environment impacts 
how you act and how you behave so much. When you talk about the, the extent to which our subconscious controls our decisions, it makes me picture like a robotic brain, like a computer brain that has inputs and outputs, almost like you train your subconscious to speak with a certain cadence or to use certain gestures, and that's just the output. You don't even choose it. Does the subconscious, does it make us robotic? Does it turn us into robots? I wouldn't go that far at all because there's still most of your decisions or a lot of your decisions that are important you are making. And your subconscious is really important uh, to help you make these decisions. You can't actually, you don't have the strength and the ability to choose every single thing that you do. You need that. I mean, it controls stuff like digestion and your heartbeat. You can't control all that. So it's really important in that way. And you still definitely make all your decisions. And most importantly, you can train your subconscious to make certain kinds of decisions. And actually, whether you like it or not, you're always training your subconscious to make certain decisions. Am I a stressed person? Am I a calm person? Am I a happy person? Am I an angry person? And the, the way that you surround yourself and you set your environment up in your life tells your subconscious in a way you train it to make certain kinds of decisions. So as Alex and I were talking about this idea of our subconscious and how that can contribute to resilience, we were talking about spirituality, and it didn't take very long before we were talking about the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes has so much to say about the science of resilience, even though it's not a science textbook. And I, I, I want to spend some time there this morning. Turn in your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, this is a book written by the wisest man of all time. That's what the Bible tells us about Solomon. Not only was he the wisest man of all time, but he literally got everything he ever wanted. That's what we learn about Solomon. He got anything you could imagine. And we're going to read about that in a minute. But what we learn is once he got everything he ever wanted, he hated it. And so the book of Ecclesiastes has so many answers that we need in 2020 because we live in the most prosperous time ever, even more prosperous than Solomon could have dreamed of, and we hate it. So many people are just so unhappy with their lives now, despite having, in a lot of ways, everything they ever thought they wanted. So let's start reading in Ecclesiastes 2. Now this is Solomon talking here, the wisest man who ever lived, and this is about his search for meaning. We'll pick up in verse 2. I said to myself, Solomon, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. 
Now notice here how Solomon describes the possessions that he got and all the accolades that he got. Did you notice it? Uh, it was back in verse 9. He says, I got the delights of a man's heart. Now we made a list here on the slide. Take a look at what delights he was talking about. The delights of a man's heart. He got, he says, wine, building projects, slaves, more herds than anybody else, other people's treasure, sex, fame, and power. If you read through the list, that's what it boils down to, the Solomon God, and that's what he describes as the delights of a man's heart. Now, we're not too impressed by vineyards anymore, by reservoirs anymore, but the spirit of what this list says, it could have come straight out of the 2020s. We see this when we turn on the radio, when we turn on the news. These are the types of things that will make you happy. If you could just get all of these things, you would be happy. Now, let's keep reading in chapter 2 and see how this work out for Solomon. Pick up with me in verse 17 of chapter 2. Solomon says, So I hated life. I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. Because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. Now this text, I think, it's shocking in the 21st century to read this and see, you know, when we're told so often, if you could just get all these things, you would be happy. It's shocking to see that 3,000 years ago, somebody did it and he didn't like it. So... Tell us what's going on here. Tell us, um, why, why was Solomon so unhappy after he got everything he wanted? I mean, neurologically, in terms of how your brain works, why was he so unhappy? One reason could be, could be this, an understanding of the two different neurological systems that underlie our experience of positive emotions. You've probably heard of these two chemicals before. They're really popular. They're called dopamine and serotonin, and they both provide you with experiences of positive emotions, but they both have very different characteristics, and they're both released in your brain with very different triggers. So let's look at these two side by side, just so we can get a good comparison and understand Solomon's experience better. So dopamine is more about pleasure. Serotonin is more about contentment. So we already see kind of opposites. Dopamine is very short-lived, seconds to minutes. Serotonin lasts a lot longer. Dopamine is more involved with taking, serotonin with giving. Dopamine you can achieve with substances, so there's drugs that you can take that will give you lots of dopamine. Serotonin doesn't really work like that. Dopamine is something that you achieve individually, kind of on your own, and serotonin tends to happen more in groups. So when we look at the list of things that Solomon was pursuing here, and he even says he was pursuing pleasure. He says he denied the pleasures of his heart nothing, you know. Um, he, we see the unhappiness that he had could be because he was chasing pleasure rather than contentment. He was more involved with dopamine than serotonin. So looking at these two molecules and the different ways they make pleasure, we can start to see why he might have been so unhappy. But what's weird here, um, and maybe you can explain this to us, what's weird here is why did, why did pursuing a natural chemical in his brain, a natural molecule that God made, dopamine, you know, why did that make him unhappy? And how could pursuing pleasure, something that seems good, have such a negative outcome? He gets pleasure and he's miserable. I mean, why are our brains like that? How did, how did we get here? I think one of the biggest reasons is a misunderstanding of what pleasure is supposed to be and why God even gave us that in the first place. I don't think that the Bible anywhere seems to say that we were created for pleasure. 
And even part, a big theme in Ecclesiastes is that. He got all the pleasure you could want, and he wasn't happy. So what were we created for? Well, one of the big reasons that um, pleasure won't bring long-term happiness is a process of tolerance. And anyone who's struggled with an addiction understands this. The first time that you do something pleasurable, you get really happy, you get a response, and then the next time you need more because your body actually builds more receptors for dopamine every time that it gets saturated with dopamine. And so you build more receptors, and then you need a bigger hit, and then you build more receptors, and you need a bigger hit. And that's how the cycle of addiction grows. And so maybe with Solomon, he's doing wine building projects, herds. Maybe he got his building project, and his first one was a little building, and then he needs a bigger building, and now he needs to build a city, and now he needs to build the biggest building in the world. And then where do you go from there? Or he has all these herds, and he gets his cows. Well, now he needs sheep, and now he needs whatever, you know? And, and so it's, it's a cycle. And it doesn't have an end. There's no finish line. There's no goal. And that's one of the reasons that it can leave you miserable. So you're saying, I mean, when you say tolerance and you put, you know, dopamine, you need more, a bigger hit, I'm picturing drugs, right? I th- you hear that about drugs. Yeah. So you take a drug the first time, it's great, and then you need more and you need more. But you're saying that can happen with behaviors. Yeah, Like definitely. we do certain yeah. things and get less pleasure each time too. Definitely. I mean, we see this all the time in our own lives. You start out with certain behaviors like video games, and then after a while, you're playing video games for hours and hours a day and you don't feel satisfied or fulfilled or as excited. Or social media, you need a certain amount of likes, and you're like, wow, I got five likes, and then after a while you're like, ah, I only got 50 likes, and it, it doesn't hit the same way. And you see this in a lot of different behaviors in our life. So that's one reason that Solomon might have been so unhappy is this idea of tolerance, that, that dopamine and pleasure brings less with each hit. But uh, you said there were two reasons. What's the other reason? Yeah, the biggest reason, I think, is just that dopamine doesn't give you meaning. It gives you pleasure, and they're two very separate things. One of the biggest lies in our world, like you were saying a minute ago, is you, you need to be happy. Do whatever makes you happy. Just when all your choices come around, do what makes you happy. And I think that one of the messages from this is that doesn't work. He did what makes you happy, and he said, so I hated my life. And so I think God did, created us to find our pleasure in him and to be in a relationship with him. And when you try to find that pleasure somewhere else, you're not going to have meaning. And the thing that will cause someone to be more upset and more depressed is a lack of meaning. So you say that dopamine is addictive. Dopamine doesn't give us meaning. Is dopamine a bad thing? Is it something we should be trying to avoid? No, 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 no. It's, a, it's natural, it's good. And also, this is kind of, this is definitely an oversimplification of its role. Dopamine does a lot of stuff in your body outside of this uh, reward feedback circuit. Like, it does stuff in your kidneys, it does stuff with vasodilation, intestinal motility, tons of, all molecules in your body do a lot of different things. So it's not a bad thing. You need it to live. You need it. But even in the reward feedback, it's not a bad thing. It's important for forming good habits. It's important for learning good behaviors and learning social skills and getting that immediate feedback helps you to just become a functional person. You really do need it. It's just bad because it can be very addictive. When you talk about addiction, it reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis uh, from The Screwtape Letters. And um, in this book, The Screwtape Letters, if you've never read it, it's a, it's a fictional idea of a demon who is uh, giving advice to another demon about how to tempt people better. So if you've never read The Screwtape Letters, it's excellent. Give it a read. But it, this quote from The Screwtape Letters perfectly captures this idea about addiction. Listen to what one demon says to another about how we can tempt people better. He says this, You no longer need a good book, which he, the person you're trying to tempt, really likes to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him waste his time not only on conversation he enjoys with people he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. I'm sure all of us have been there. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night 
not roistering, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. So at last, he may say on his arrival down here, and he's talking about hell, I now see that I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. And I think that's a really good summary of how it feels when you're doing something you don't want to do. And I don't, I mean, I don't really know what roistering, <laughs> what roistering means. It sounds like a good time. And I don't have a fireplace to stare at. But I've definitely found myself in the situation he described. Just for us, though, it looks a little different. Maybe you're not staring at a fire in a room. Maybe you're watching some YouTube video. Like I, at 1 a.m., you're watching some YouTube video about penguins migrating. And it's totally, you don't even care. You just are watching this or on Facebook. You're just scrolling, looking at stuff, and you're barely even reading it. You don't know how long you've been doing it for. Or you're watching those cooking videos, you know, where it's like really sped up of somebody cooking something. And it's like, I don't even cook. I don't, I'm never going to make this. And you just, you know, you get down these rabbit holes or you're looking at someone's entire social media profile from that you knew from like middle school. You're never going to see them again. You've never seen them since middle school. And these are just ways that we just sit and just slump down into this tolerance thing where this, it's something that used to give us pleasure and now it doesn't anymore. And you're just sitting there doing something you didn't choose to do. You're not excited about it. You wouldn't say you're passionate about it. You're doing it just to avoid doing something else. Well, and you've trained your subconscious to do that. So we talked earlier about your small behaviors reinforce your subconscious. You need your subconscious to make decisions for you or else you'd be overwhelmed. But you teach it how to do that by all the little ways that you feed it dopamine every day. So when you feed it dopamine by looking at your phone, you train it to look at your phone more. And eventually it's 1 a.m. and you're scrolling and you don't even like what you're looking at. And we've all been there. This is how you get there because you've been training your subconscious for weeks, maybe years just to do that behavior. You know, this starts to sound a lot as we talk about addiction, like Paul in Romans chapter 7. Uh, Paul in Romans 7 is talking about sin and patterns of sin. And he perfectly describes dopamine loops before they even knew what a dopamine loop, a dopamine circuit even was. Listen to what Paul says here in Romans 7, uh, verse 15, and then we'll read verse 19. Listen to what he says. I do not understand what I do. Now that sounds like a dopamine addiction, right? For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. If you heard this passage and you didn't know it was from the Bible, you might think it was written by some crazy person, right? It's a guy who says, I have things I want to do, I can't do them. I have things I hate, and that's what I do. It doesn't make any sense, but when you read it, it does kind of sound like the human experience. We get trapped doing things we don't even like, by our subconscious because of the way that we've trained it. And that leads into cycles of addiction. Addiction, and we've been talking a lot about this, addiction is something that's growing in new ways in the 21st century. There are things you could get addicted to now that have never even existed before. So, for example, South Korea, the country of South Korea, they just declared a a national public health crisis in the entire country over video game addiction. So it wasn't over, you know, COVID-19 or anything. They declared a national health crisis because so many of their young people were completely addicted to video games. Yeah, and we're seeing more of this behavior addiction that's becoming more well-known and recognized, and people are starting to realize how concerning it really is. The DSM-5 actually recognizes two different behavior addictions for the first time of video games and gambling, and I think that there's many more that they're going to start recognizing in the future. Another one that didn't exist uh, just before the last couple generations is online pornography. And the stats on that are overwhelming if you take the time to look at these stats. It is an epidemic of massive proportions. About 85% in America of young men 
and about 50% of young women watch porn at least once a month. And this is one of the most addictive things ever devised, and it didn't even exist until just the last couple generations. You know, and uh, the average American in Gen Z, which is kind of our youngest generation right now, according to a lot of studies, it's hard to pin it down, but the research we were looking at, they spend five hours, six hours, up to eight hours every single day on social media. Yeah. And that's a new, new type of behavior addiction that didn't exist until recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a result of just the new technology. It can be good and bad, but it really does cause us to just be overstimulated all the time. And we're always on. And there's always something cool to look at and something new to see. And that creates a lot of these dopamine cycles that can be very, very addictive and very damaging. And, and this, this happens on purpose. Right? And you know this in your, in your day-to-day life. It's profitable for marketers to hijack your dopamine circuits, and they know how to do it well. So the people that are marketing to us have studied this. They've yeah. spent a lot of money and a lot of time in boardrooms figuring out exactly how to get your attention because your attention is how they make money. So it's not necessarily evil. It's just profitable. So they yeah. design our food to get us addicted to it. You know, real food that grows out of the ground is not addictive, so they add things to it, just like they add things to cigarettes, to make us addicted to it so we keep coming back for another hit Mm -hmm. to get more dopamine, and that's just marketing. They do the same thing on social media. The way the page is designed has been studied down to the tiniest detail, the way the font looks, the colors, the way it scrolls, the way your phone feels in your hand, all of it designed to keep you clicking and to keep you scrolling and spending time there. Our modern world is designed intentionally to leverage the dopamine in your brain to make money off of you, to make you into more of a consumer. And that's how we end up like Solomon. We end up living in a time of unprecedented prosperity like the world has never seen, but we're not happy about it and we don't like it. And so what we're talking about here is training our subconscious. We're talking about training how we can think and make better decisions to be more resilient as Christians. So I think the first step to that is dopamine, understanding the rewards in your brain and how that works so that you can control it. And we're going to talk in just a minute about some really practical things you can do to uh, get that dopamine under control and to reset some of those circuits and addictions and discover what those are. But before we do, I want to make sure we have a full picture of how our subconscious actually works. Because dopamine is just one neurotransmitter. It's just one of those molecules that controls your brain. But there's more than that. So what else do we need to know about that's controlling our subconscious? There's another molecule that we need to talk about that is very important in stress, and it's called cortisol. And again, there's so many molecules that are involved in your behavior, and this is a necessary oversimplification, but the principles here are so important. And so this molecule, cortisol, works with a lot of other molecules to elevate a stress response in your body. God designed us to withstand stresses. It's very important that we're able to do that. And so something scary happens, something stressful happens, and you get adrenaline, and then after a while that wears off, and then you need something like cortisol to keep that stress response going. And this is natural. It's really important. I mean, maybe you have to stay up all night with a sick kid, or maybe you have to work an extra shift, and you need that marathon uh, chemical to come in here and elevate your stress level so that you have the energy and the strength to do that, and the focus and the attentiveness. That's a normal thing. It's a good thing. We need this molecule. The problem comes, just like with dopamine, when it gets overused, and we have chronic stresses in our life. And we live a life that's high stress all the time, and we always feel like we're behind. And then cortisol stays elevated, and we were not designed for that. And chronic stress with chronically elevated cortisol can be very damaging to our brain. It can hurt our decision-making ability. Think about it. When you're stressed, 
it's more important that you make fast decisions than that you make really, really good decisions that are about morality and the right thing to do because you know, you're in a fight or flight situation, so you want to make a quick decision, which is fine in that situation, but if you live your whole life like that, then it becomes much harder to train your subconscious to do the right thing because your subconscious is responding to that cortisol, to that stress, instead of to what you know is right. So you make those flight or fight, fight or flight decisions yeah. because you're stressed, and that doesn't give you the chance to actually think it through and make the right decision. Right. And so then you teach your subconscious these split-second, thoughtless, kind of stress-driven decisions. And uh, so would you say, based on that, that cortisol is bad? I mean, is cortisol something we should avoid at no, all costs? No, it's not... I, it's just like the other molecules we've been talking about. It's good and bad. It serves a very important role. You need it. You can't survive without it. It's one of the things that keeps you alert, keeps you awake, wakes you up in the morning. Very important. It's just bad when it's always on, when it's always high. Your body lives in a state of stress, and it hurts your immune system. It weakens you. It hurts your sleep. It hurts your focus. And we're seeing this so much around the world because we live right now in a world that is has so much to offer us, and so there's always something going on. There's always lights and sounds and things that you can focus on that will keep this elevated. And I think it goes without saying, right now particularly, I mean, we live in one of the most stressful times yeah. ever yeah. in the, the history of the world. Yeah. We live so stressful yeah, right now. Definitely. And so that's got to be driving cortisol too. Yeah, no doubt. You spend time reading about all these things going on, these huge, almost existential things going on globally, and you think about politics and everything that's going on, and it can just reading about that and, you know, the virus and stuff, it will really keep this elevated. And that, and that can be something that we forget about, but it's so important to our subconscious. So I want to talk about uh, some practical takeaways here about dopamine and cortisol. What, we, what we're talking about here is training our subconscious. So how can we use, let's start with dopamine. Yeah. So how can, what are some practical things that we can do to make sure that we're the ones in charge of our brain and that we're intentionally training our subconscious with dopamine? One of the most important ways to make sure that you're in charge of your decisions with dopamine and with your subconscious is fasting. So fasting is something that's talked about a lot in the Bible, but we maybe don't talk about it all the time because it's really hard. But one of the biggest lies that our world is telling us, it's our generation, and Gen Z especially, so much is do what makes you happy. And the truth of the Bible, Solomon tells us, I did what made me happy, and I was miserable. So we, can't, we have to say the meaning of our life is more than happiness, and fasting is a very important way to remind yourself of that and to say, I'm going to voluntarily not do something for no reason except just to say, I'm in control, and my pleasure doesn't come from food. My pleasure doesn't come from social media. You can fast from anything just to make sure that you tell yourself, I'm focused on God, and that's what's really important. Hmm. Did you hear that? I want to make sure everybody heard that. Voluntarily not do something for no reason other than to promote self-control. I think right. that's a good definition of yeah. fasting right there. Yeah, definitely. Is, is what that is. And it's the opposite of what Solomon did. Right? When we read Ecclesiastes 2, we have the wisest man ever, the richest man ever, and he uses it for pure indulgence. Right? Every sensual thing, every dopamine thing that he could indulge in, he did. And he didn't like it. And fasting is the opposite of that. Yeah. It's, it's taking a look at dopamine that is available to you and say, turning it down. Yeah. Not because you don't have the option of food, but because you do and you don't want it. You make a better choice. Yeah, which is extra important right now because we live in a world where all that stuff is available. I mean, he had to get a harem and like go and find women, whatever. Online pornography is different. That's just right there all the time. Food, it's like he probably got like spices from somewhere. It's like we go to HEB and you can get more food than he could ever have. So the, having the ability to tell yourself no is more relevant now in a world of excess than ever. 
And training yourself to be able to do that and showing yourself this is a priority to me is so essential to making good decisions. So when you say fasting is what we need to do, a lot of people, you know, myself included, you think about food. And in the Bible, when God tells the, you know, in the Old Testament commanding to fast and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talking about fasting, they're talking about abstaining from food. But what are some other ways that can look like? So there's a popular thing that you may have heard of on social media. It's kind of trendy about a dopamine fast. And it's exactly what it sounds like. You pick a couple behaviors that you have that are really strong stimulators of dopamine. And you say, I'm going to just choose not to do these for a day, three days, a week, as long as you, you can. And that will help to reset that. And it'll help you to rediscover intrinsic motivation from things that you actually value instead of just these feedback loops that you might have been stuck in and not even know. So actually, we tried to do this when we were talking about this. We said, all right, let's, let's dopamine fast. So for three days, we, we actually did this. And we were like, okay, no phones, no screens, no TV, no, what else we do, desserts. Mm-hmm. Um, social media. Social media. Reading the news. Yeah, no news. For three days, we really tried to do this. And it was really hard. It was actually really hard. I don't know if you've tried to do this, but it was harder than we expected. I, I'm sure some of you have had this experience. This is what happened to me. So <laughs> day one, we start off. We're going to dopamine fast, no screens. You know, we're going to do some research for this sermon and I look down you know several times and I'm just holding my phone and I don't know how it got in my hand I don't, I don't remember getting out of my pocket and then you know you look down and you scrolling. don't even you're, like, you're scrolling you open your social media app and you're scrolling and you don't even remember opening it and <laughs> yeah. realizing for myself that I had that addiction because if you had asked me before you know are you addicted I would have said no but I'm, my behavior shows otherwise my subconscious is addicted whether I know it is or not. And so trying to stop, you know, setting up that fast, that showed me my addiction. It revealed it. You know, we had, you know, day two, I came downstairs, we're both staying at our parents' house, and I came downstairs and Alex was standing in the kitchen eating a piece of cake. And I was like, how's the dopamine fast going? I actually didn't even think about it though. Like I just started, I was totally forgot about it. You don't, but but it was your subconscious. It's the same thing with the phone. Your subconscious makes these decisions for you. And so fasting, when you voluntarily set aside pleasure, you're going to realize probably for the first time that you are addicted to it in the first place. And uh, we, see that, we see this all over in the Bible, but let me just give a couple examples. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's writing to the Corinthians, and in chapter 6 he says, all things are lawful for me. You know, I have freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want, but I will not be mastered by anything. And the biblical truth that implies is external things in this world can master you if you let them. Yeah. You know, and in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul, talking about how resilient he's going to be in his ministry, he says, I will beat my body and make it my slave. And the biblical truth that implies is your body can not be under your control. Your body can be under the control of something else. You know, your subconscious can give over your body to where you're a slave to something of this world, and that's addiction. And so all throughout the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, we see this truth all over the place that Somehow you can lose control of your mind. Somehow you can lose control over your body and be a slave to some earthly thing. The scary part is you might already be in that situation. You just don't know it. And so what fasting does is it reveals to you those areas where you're under the control of your dopamine loops and you didn't even know it. It's where you're under the control of them, but it's also where you're deriving your pleasure from earthly things as a substitute for heavenly things. That's another thing that this will really show you. When you cut out dopamine, it's like what you're left with, is that enough? The serotonin activities kind of that you're left with, is it enough to just spend time with people and not be on my phone? Is it enough to not watch TV before bed or to not know what's going on in the world? 
And you'll realize really quick, no, that's not enough. I have to know. And that's when you, when you really feel the effects of that addiction. You're like, wow, I, without that stuff, I'm actually a lot emptier. And you realize how much of your meaning was coming from that. And that's really important to know beforehand. So that's a practical step we can take to control dopamine. As we close, I want to talk about cortisol because, man, our world right now is so stressful. I know people are so stressed right now. And what is a step that we can take to control cortisol when we're trying to train our subconscious to make better decisions? So, yeah, cortisol is um, different than dopamine because it's a more long-term thing. Dopamine, seconds to minutes, little bursts with specific activities. Cortisol is more about kind of a lifestyle that you have. And it takes it a while to go up and it takes it a while to come back down. It's not as immediately responsive, maybe. So to control that, we have to change stuff that we expose ourselves to. Like It's about what, what you look at that's outside of your control. One of the biggest sources of cortisol in the world, especially today, is looking at things that are outside of your control and feeling overwhelmed by it. And that's a position that Satan loves to see us in because it really hurts our ability to make good decisions and to feel confident about God's will for our lives. What we see, though, and, and it's not that it's bad to care about big-picture things outside of your control. We, yeah. can, we can get involved by praying for those things, but we can't afford to get overwhelmed by those things and to let those things drive cortisol until we become ineffective. And we see that in the way Jesus acted. You know, we talked last week about how Jesus Christ is, is our ruler that we can use to measure reality and to see, you know, what decisions are good and bad for us. Well, look how Jesus acted. You know, he came down, he was on the ground in the world, and think about how many blind people there must have been. And he only healed a few of them. And think how many lepers there must have been. And he only healed just a handful to make a point. And I, I mean, think about how much oppression there was in the Roman Empire, even in Israel. And Jesus could have got involved in the government there. You know, he could have gone to Rome and talked to Caesar and done miracles there and done his ministry there. But he didn't have a political agenda. He, he took a look at all of the problems in the world and he knew which ones were his to solve. Which, one, which tasks God had given him. And we need to be the same way or else we're going to get overwhelmed because now more than ever, we have access to all the problems in the world. I mean, you can get on social media and see problems on the other side of the world and watch you know, videos and read the news about what's going on all over the world and allow that to stress you out. And that's a new problem. Yeah, it definitely is. And especially in 2020, we have it all. We have plagues, we have riots, we have injustice, we have fires everything. I mean, people dying, people really hurting, and you can feel like you're part of it. You can feel like you're there. And getting into that and obsessing with that and forgetting about your immediate surroundings is such a surefire way to make sure that you keep your cortisol always high. Because you're going to come up with these plans to fix that problem, to say, I have this plan to heal race relations in America, and I know how to do it, and people just need to listen to me, and you know all about it, and you study all about it. But when you do that, and you neglect your personal life and your personal relationship with God. And it's like, you have a plan to fix this, but you don't spend time reading your Bible. Or you don't spend time going to your small group and investing in those people who are right there. Then you start to feel ineffective. And you start to lose meaning. And you start to live in a state of constant stress. And you're worried about things that are too big for you to fix. Instead of worrying about things that God is calling you to fix in your life. So the, the question that you can kind of weaponize against your cortisol here, the question you can use is, do I have control over this or not? It's a simple question, but asking that whenever you start to feel the stress rising, do I have control over this or not? Or maybe, you know, what, what amount of control do I have hmm. over this? You know, how much control do I have in this situation? If it's a situation with your own heart, if it's an addiction like we were talking about earlier, you're the only one with control over it. You know, you can, you can apply your attention to that. But if it's something on the other side of the world, 
or if it's this virus, a global pandemic, you know, you have very, very little control over that. Yeah. And so in that situation, you know, asking the question, do I have control over this? Will worrying about this help, you know, me or the people around me or the people that God has put in my life to influence? And so asking that practical question, what do I actually have control over, can help protect our minds and our hearts during this stressful time. You know, we've, like you said, we've got this global pandemic. How much control do you have over that? And it's important to care about this stuff. God yeah. wants us to care about this, and we want Christian people who have a heart for God in charge of this movement and, invo- and involved with all these different movements and these problems. No one's better equipped to do it. But you have to start with yourself and work outwards towards that. And you say, what can I fix in myself? Am I spending time in prayer every day, reading my Bible? Have I fasted and figured out what's in charge of my life? And am I in charge of my subconscious and this dopamine in my life? Or, you know, and you, you start with yourself, and then you work on the people closest to you, and maybe you work up to something that big. But a lot of people, a tendency, especially in our generation, is to neglect yourself and to focus on these huge problems. And you feel like, well, that's so important. I can't just sit here and meditate. I have to go do something. But I think that the Bible shows us clearly that it's more important to fix yourself before you go out to try to do something like that. And I think that's what God calls us to. And when you have the discipline to do that, I think that God uses people like that to do things greater than what they had ever planned. But you have to be willing to start with stuff that is within your control, and then you work up to things that feel like they're out of your control. So this week, this is a practical thing to do this week based on this message. And this is what we did last week, and it helped me so much just yeah. organizing my own thoughts Definitely. about this topic. But So this week, sit yeah. down with a piece of paper, make a note on your phone, and write down the top three, the top five, you know, just the top few sources of dopamine in your life. What do you think are those triggers, those things that are giving you that reward in your life? You know, for most of us, probably social media is involved. You know, maybe staying up with current events and reading the news yeah. is involved with that. Food dessert, things like that are probably involved, but sit down and just think about what gives you that reward. What gives you that burst in your brain? What compulsive behaviors do you have? And then plan out a practical way that you can fast from those things, not because they're bad, but because you need to know if they're controlling you or not. And fasting is that way to see what's controlling you. So make a list. Where do you get your dopamine from? And then plan a fast. How can I spend, you know, a day or two off social media? Apply little speed bumps for your subconscious to trip your subconscious. You know, put a passcode on your phone. Or move your apps around so they're not in the spot your thumbs are used to. Just little, little speed bumps for your subconscious. Yeah. It'll feel silly, but that way you'll start to learn. You know, put the, put the food in a different spot. Hide the dessert. Whatever you have to do in order to get yourself to uh, make this fast effective for you. So when you do that, also make a list for cortisol. What are the top three things stressing you out? For some of us, what are the top five, the top 10, <laughs> the top 50 things that are stressing you out? Make the list as long as you need. Where is that, what is the source of the cortisol that is overwhelming your subconscious right now? And you know, for most of us, the top couple things are gonna be this global pandemic, the virus, and uh, the politics. news, politics, yeah. things that are going on, you know, a situation with race in our country. Or uh, you know, for all of us, it might be something personal, things with your family, conflict in your own heart. Make a list. Write it down and then start to plan out. Ask that question, what do I have control over? And is, is the amount of control you have over each thing consistent with how much it's stressing you out? So some of this you have very little control over and it's, a, it's, it's adding massive amounts of cortisol into your life that's overwhelming your subconscious. And so what you can do is say, I don't have any control over the virus. You know, I can control it for myself and the people around me. So I need to lower the amount of stress that I have about that, lower the amount of time I spend, you know, reading the news and learning about that, not because it's bad, but because you need to get your mind under control 
and then you can wield it more effectively. You have to be brave enough to start small. God cares about these huge events, but God tells us, he commands us, don't worry. And so it's okay to know about this stuff, but we're commanded not to worry about it. You worry about the things that are within your control. Uh, To look at these two chemicals with dopamine and cortisol this morning, I think one of the biggest takeaways here is, first of all, how much they can control your subconscious, but it's also, how does God want us to look at this? And dopamine makes you have pleasure, and it makes you have happiness, and it makes you have fun. But it's so important to realize that God didn't create you so that you can have fun. He created you for so much more than that. And if you do what Solomon showed us, what he did, and say, I'm going to have as much fun as I can, you're going to end up like Solomon, and you're going to end up miserable. And with cortisol, God did not create you to have these huge amounts of stress constantly in your life and to say, I'm going to fix everything. He created you to love him and to love your neighbors with all your heart. And when you do those things with dopamine, instead of finding pleasure, God wants to give you real joy. And with cortisol, instead of stressing about everything in life, God wants to give you real peace. And so I think that's the, that's the takeaway for how we want these things to affect our lives and how we want God to use these things to, to shape our decision-making and our subconscious. Alex, thank you so much for coming in today and talking Thanks. to us about this. This is such an important truth. So go out this week, make your list, plan your fast, and let's apply these truths to our lives so that we can be more resilient followers of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these complex and strange minds that you've given us. Teach us how to use our brains to love you better. Help us to manage the way that we think, the habits that we form, and the way that we devote our attention to love you better and to better serve the people around us. God, help us not to get overwhelmed by this world. Help us to not grow addicted to the pleasures of this world, but instead direct us always back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.